Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Well, y'all, we are beginning a new series this morning. It's actually like a mini-series, I guess you can call it. And it's called this, The Gift of Freedom. Can somebody say, The Gift of Freedom? Because here at River Church, we believe and we know that we are experiencing a season of freedom and deliverance. I'm going to say that one more time. Here at Riverside Church, we are experiencing a season of freedom and deliverance. But we believe that it should be normal for people to experience the freedom that Jesus can offer. You know, we were all once slaves at one point in our lives, whether we, whether we realize it or not. We were once slaves to sin. We were once slaves to Satan himself. But because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross 2,000 years ago, we can experience freedom. Jesus said, whom the Son is set free is free indeed. He said, and you will know the truth, right? And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So Jesus has freedom he wants to offer us and he wants us to experience and walk out. Because you may be coming to church because if I asked you the question, are you free? Sometimes we would say, yeah, I'm free, but maybe there's some things that we're harboring or holding on to or whatever else that, that could be making us feel imprisoned and tra- trapped and feel like there's no hope. Can I tell you something? That is a lie. We can experience freedom. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn me to Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, and I pray that this message just speaks to you. I actually had like three other messages I could have preached other than this one. But I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to speak on this. It's not about trying to be eloquent or come with persuasive words. Just be obedient to what I've placed on your heart to share with the congregation. And even if it's just one person that grabs a hold of this word this morning, it was all worth it. Because I didn't come to impress you. I came to be obedient to what God has called me to preach. Because I'm going to stand before him one day. And that's what I want to do, just be a obedient to that. But what we're doing during the series specifically is we are looking at the children of Israel, what they experienced. Because if we, I think a picture of freedom that we can look at in the Bible is is the children of Israel and how God brought them and he delivered them from Egyptian slavery and captivity, right? The the, the 10 plagues happened. We're going to talk about that this morning, some too. Uh, He brought them through the Red Sea. They were in the wilderness and they went into the promised land. But This morning, what we're going to focus on in particular is whenever Moses and his brother Aaron first approached Pharaoh. This is after the burning bush moment. This one, God says, go to, when God told Moses, go to Pharaoh, tell him, let my people go. And that's where we pick up right here in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. It says this, after this presentation to to, to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. Can somebody say Pharaoh? They told him, this is what the Lord The God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh? And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. See, I always thought that whenever Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, they just straight up said, let us go forever, right? But 
when you study the scripture, actually what God told Moses to do, he said, go to him and tell him to tell Pharaoh to, for, to, to allow y'all to take a three-day journey to go worship and to make sacrifices and, and, and to honor me. And that was a way of putting the foot in the door for the nation of Israel to be free. And God wanted to show that he wouldn't even allow them to be gone for a week, right? Much less to be gone for that long of a time. And that just goes to show the stubbornness of Pharaoh and the hardness of his heart. And it ends with this, if we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with the sword. I felt led this morning as we talk about this series, The Gift of Freedom, to talk about this first, the cost of freedom. The cost of freedom, because yes, freedom is a gift, but can I tell you something? Freedom isn't cheap. Just because freedom is a gift doesn't mean that freedom is cheap. No, freedom comes at a high cost. Freedom is never free. Anytime a people, a group, whatever, have experienced freedom, there's always been a fight. There's always been a struggle. There's always been a battle. There's always been something taking place. But who's thankful that our God is greater, our God is bigger, our God is able to fight for us? At times, we just got to stand firm and let God work through us. Amen? Somebody say the cost of freedom. The cost of freedom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, have your way today for the next few minutes that we share. We love you so much. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just anoint me and use me, God, however you'd like to. In Jesus' name. And somebody said, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, you may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing. Thank you for standing. Here's what we believe here at Riverside Church. That God desires for his people to be free. And specifically, he desires for you to be free to worship him. But can I tell you something? That yes, there is a God. There is the creator of heaven and earth, Yahweh, right? He's made himself known to us by his son, Jesus Christ, that yes, there is a kingdom of heaven. But can I tell you something real quick? There is also another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. There is a God, but there is also a Satan. Uh, th there is a heaven, but there's also a hell. And, and, and what he wants you to not experience more than anything else is, is for you to experience freedom and to have the opportunity and liberty and privilege to be able to worship God. Because you know that's what Lucifer wanted when he was in heaven, right? He wanted to be worshipped, but yet he was the worshiper. It is believed that he was the one that orchestrated when it came to the, the worship that was in heaven, and he let pride enter into his heart, and he desired to be worshipped himself, and he fell like lightning from heaven. One-third of the angels came alongside. So, so from the beginning, we see even in the Garden of Eden, he's always tried to enslave, and he's always tried to oppress the people of God. And that's what we see when it comes to the children of Israel, whenever they are in slavery and they are in captivity. Because get this, they are slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Over 400 years, they are underneath the oppression and captivity of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And I believe that when it comes to Pharaoh, when it comes to Egypt, it is a type and it is a shadow 
of our walk with God. Because who knows that God has called us out of an Egypt and he has delivered us from the power of Pharaoh. I believe that even Pharaoh himself was a picture of Satan. And that we, now there's no Jew or Gentile, we are the spiritual Israel because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. But can I tell you something? The devil, he wants you to feel captive, and he doesn't want you to worship your God. And he will do whatever he can to try to rob God from the worship that only he deserves, even if that means enslaving his people. So imagine God, because it says that whenever God approached Moses, that God told Moses, he said, I have heard my people's cry. I have seen their oppression. Think about that. God heard it was the children's cry of them being whipped, beaten, oppressed, that God heard and he acted on their children's cry. That should be encouraging to somebody today or maybe you watch online that you're crying out to God and you feel like there is no hope and you feel like your tears are falling on the ground and not going anywhere. Can I tell you something? God sees every tear. He sees you right where you are. The Bible says that he is near to the brokenhearted, and he is able to deliver you and set you free. The question is, do we want to be set free? Because some of us, we're more comfortable being slaves than we are comfortable being servants to God. And so God was fed up with the nation of Israel building monuments and building structures and building idols or whatever it was that they built. They built a whole bunch of different things for all those years to glorify Pharaoh and the false gods that were there. Because get this, the Egyptians had 114 false gods and idols that they worshipped. 114. And their idolatrous and adulterous worship began to contaminate the nation of Israel. And they didn't have the freedom to worship God the way that he had called them to, 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 to worship him. So when God calls the nation of Israel to be delivered from slavery, guess what? There is one person that is standing in the way, and that is Pharaoh. Can somebody say Pharaoh? And Pharaoh, get this, Pharaoh had all power in Egypt because Pharaoh was actually seen and known to the people as a god, lowercase g. <laughs> There's only one god with a capital G, right? But he was a lowercase g god, right? They actually believed that he was one of the gods, the, the god of Horus manifested in the flesh. So everything that Pharaoh said was law and it was final. So Pharaoh had the keys and he thought he did. He had the authority to the people, right? And, and, and he was the one standing between the nation of Israel and their freedom. So God tells, tells Moses and Aaron, and get this too, because you got to get this. So for the, for the Egyptians, they were paganistic, they were polytheistic, and many of their gods were rooted and connected towards nature and other animals, you ever seen those, like, hieroglyphics of, like, you know, the, the drawings, and there's all these weird things, and there's all those pictures, right? So get this. When, before God can deliver, or before God delivers his people from the oppression of Egypt, 
He wants to make a spectacle of Pharaoh and all the false gods to tell the nation of Israel that he is greater and superior and mightier than all of them. So what do we see? When Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, what happens? Aaron throws down his rod, and it becomes a serpent. But here's what tripped me out. Pharaoh had his sorcerers, his magicians, and they threw down their staffs, and it became serpents as well. So that just shows and goes to show this right here, it wasn't just a physical battle taking place. It was spiritual. There were spirits behind Pharaoh. There were spirits behind those false gods. Just like today, can I tell you something? Our battle is not in the flesh. Our battle is not in the physical. The Apostle Paul said we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness, against principalities. That's what made the enemy so upset when Jesus came on the scene. Because when Jesus came on the scene, full of the Holy Spirit, he was stirring up the whole nest. And the plans and the works of the enemy, the Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. To destroy the works of the enemy. The enemy came to do three things, still kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Anybody thankful for that? So these, we have one snake, two snakes. No surprise, the snake from Aaron swallows up the snakes. They were both able to perform some type of miracle or whatever, but our God is greater and superior. And, and you may be saying to yourself, Caleb, like, what is this all about? Because, you know, here we are living like nearly, I would say probably 3,500 years later from when that took place. Can I tell you something? There are, there are <laughs> Satan, you know the Satan Lucifer, that he is known as the God of this world, lowercase g? Yes, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, but do your own study. Satan has authority, and we are taking back ground from the enemy. And when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, authority, they gave away the dominion that they had here on earth. That's why Jesus, he came. I'm just telling you right now, I don't have time to go all into it right now, but there is a battle taking place. And more than ever, y'all, I've seen it and have experienced it. It's like the devil is becoming more and more, like, less afraid or embarrassed to pop up and show his face. And that's why we have to be careful and guard our minds and guard our hearts and guard our children because the devil is on the prowl. The Bible says that the devil goes to and fro the earth like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. So in other words, the devil, the devil and his demons are not in hell just doing nothing. They are working in the earth today influencing even people today. I won't forget being in fifth grade, y'all. Fifth grade, get this. When I was in fifth grade, I, I moved to a new school. And whenever I moved to this school, I made a friend that, that was there. And I went over to his house one day because he lived down the street from me. And whenever I went over to his house, y'all, I don't know what it was about this kid, 
But he loved horror movies and horror games, and I was scared of that stuff. Me being naive and, and innocent and young and not knowing everything, he takes me into his room, y'all. When we go into his room, he grabs this book off the shelf, and he says, you know how you have your God? We have a God, too. And he pulls it, and it says the book of N-O-D. And he took me to his parents' room. He was showing me around the house, and they had this table this board was that was there, the, these, these pillows and all these things. And then I was, you know, being young and everything, I was like, hey, do you want to come spend the night? So he comes over to my house, and we're sitting in the living room, y'all. And when he sits in the living room, he, he throws out these cards on the table. And he said, check these out, dude. These are tarot cards. I can tell you our future right now because we're planning to go to the movies later. Just me and him in the living room. And he began to do it, y'all, and it worked. It was telling us the future. I was like, dude, this is pretty, I, think, I didn't know anything about, right? I, I had an awareness. My dad's probably told me before, but I was just trying to make a friend at a new school, you know? Y'all, my dad walks in. Pastor Bobby, the man of God, walks into the living room. Says, boy, what do y'all think y'all are doing in here? And I could tell his heart broke. Because there was this young boy, he didn't know any better. Can I tell you something? There's some people, they are trying to experience spirituality. They're allowing themselves to be influenced by different things, but their hunger is found in the wrong things. And can I tell you that we have to tell the world that there is a better way, that we serve a greater God. That we don't have to go to boards. We don't have to rely on crystals. We don't have to go to a sorcerer. We don't have to allow, like, go to cars. We can go straight to Christ Jesus, the mediator, the one who stands in the gap where we can go and have direct access to God. That's how this is part of the relevance for today. That what does that mean? That our God is greater. Our God is mightier. And when you study, get this, that's no coincidence that God dealt with the Egyptians so harshly to give us an example and the children of Israel an example and the Egyptians an example that he was greater the way that he did with the ten plagues. Do you think it was really random that God dealt with the Egyptians the way that he did with the ten plagues, just like throwing out random things. You know what? We'll turn the water to blood. You know, we'll throw some frogs in there, some gnats, and do this. You know, we're just, I'm just going to go crazy. No, 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 no. God, God is strategic. God is intentional. Because guess what? They had over 100 gods, and God was bringing the children of Israel out of slavery, delivering them. And he wanted them to know that he is greater, that he is alive. And he was trying to tell the Egyptians, their gods are nothing. So get this. I want to go over this real quick with y'all because maybe you've never seen this before, understood this before. But get this, the ten plagues, I want to go over this. Because here's the thing, too. Think about this. Pharaoh, it says that God, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God knew that, that Pharaoh wasn't going to let his people go. But can I tell you something? God allowed the heart of Pharaoh to be hardened. He was prolonging the stubbornness of Pharaoh so that way the children of Israel 
would see who their God is and that he was greater and he was powerful. This is what God told, this was the message to Pharaoh that God had in Exodus chapter 9, verse 15 through 17. By now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth, but I have spared you for a purpose. What was that purpose? To show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. But you still lord it over my people and refuse to let them go. God was going to use Pharaoh's stubbornness as a way to show the nation of Israel that he was greater. Let me prove it to you. The first plague that we find was whenever God used Moses to turn the Nile River into blood. In other words, the fish died. Like they, the, the Egyptians, they, they relied heavily on the Nile River. That was, they, they, they built their, their city around this river, and, and God turned it into blood. But here's the one thing, like I said, many of their deities were connected to nature or even animals. Get this, because one of their gods that they worshipped was known as happy. He doesn't look too happy, but he was the god of the Nile. And God turned the Nile into blood where they couldn't drink it, and whatever was in there began to die. The second plague that we see was the frogs that came from the river. And this right here, we believe, was, was connected and, and, and really opposing the god Hecate, which was a goddess that was head of the frogs. They had literally a frog head, as you can see right there. It looks like Kermit the Frog. But here's the interesting thing. So the first plague, the water into blood, you know the Egyptians were able to duplicate that same thing? And Pharaoh said, ah. You think your God's so good? We can do this too. And then the frogs, they did that too. They brought frogs out of the river and said, oh, we can do that too. But it was on the third plague, get this, on the third plague, guess what? Gnats came from the dust. And this is when the sorcerers, and this right here opposed Jeb, the God over the dust of the earth. This is when the sorcerers and magicians said, we can't duplicate this. We can't do this. This is the finger of God. The next plague that we find was the swarm of flies. And guess what? This one right here, this is when God distinguished and differentiated the Egyptians from the Israelites because the flies just swarmed the Egyptians but left the Israelites alone. Come on, I don't know about you, but it seems like if I'm, if I'm in a group of, if I'm with a group of people and there's a bee, sometimes that bumblebee just comes straight towards me and that doesn't mess with nobody else. Isn't that the most annoying thing? And somebody tells me, don't be afraid, stand still. I'm like, dude, I'm about to hit you. If you tell me that again, I'm getting away. But this is what God did. He wanted to show that he was greater, that he was superior, even more than, than, than Capri, the God, the head of the flies. Then the fifth plague was this, when the cattle and the livestock began to get sick. So they began to get sick, and it was only the Egyptian livestock that began to be affected, but not the Israelites. And look at this picture real quick, okay? So, definitely not the Chick-fil-A cow, right? Where do you think the children of Israel learned false god worship? What was it? When they were in the wilderness, when Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments, and when he came down, what happened? They made a calf, a golden calf, and they begin to worship it. 
They wanted to worship because here's the thing about God. God didn't have a statue or anything like that. Their God was invisible. He showed himself up in a number of different ways, but they wanted to have an image because that's what they were taught for all those years. So they made a golden calf to worship. That's where they learned it from. And get this, you can look into this when you get a chance. It just makes the Bible just come alive even more. For anybody, for anybody that's on the fence and like, man, what's, you know, is the Bible real? All these stories that we read or whatever else. Because get this, if there's over 2 million Israelites, people that were once slaves being brought out of Egypt, two, over 2 million people, it says 600,000 men, that's not including women or children, being brought out of Egypt, don't you think that there would be some type of evidence to show and support that? When you get a chance, look into the real Mount Sinai, and this is what I believe. I believe that the real Mount Sinai is actually in modern-day Saudi Arabia because when you go to a specific mountain in Saudi Arabia that's been fenced off by the Islamic government that is there and was very particular when it comes to people taking pictures of it, there have been people, Christians, that have gone into there, went past the fence to different places, y'all, and they've literally recorded, and, and, and the other locals, because the locals there actually say that that's Moses' mountain. They say this is Moses' mountain. And they've actually found evidence of drawings dating back a long time ago, Egyptian drawings of cows that are there, kind of like what we see right here. What in the world would Egyptian drawings be doing that far away from Egypt? I believe that it was the people of God that came and got brought out. I can go more deeper into that. But this is what they were taught. And God was saying, no, I'm greater than all those things. I can set you free. The sixth plague is this, boils, which, which opposed and came against the god Isis, the goddess of health. This one just affected the Egyptians as well. The seventh plague, hell from the sky. Opposed the, the, the goddess uh, uh, Nut, which I don't know about you, I'll be so upset if that was my name or whatever. And she got did dirty with that name. The goddess of the sky took out agriculture and different structures in Egypt. The eighth plague was the locust, which came against the, the gods Nepher and Nepri, the god and goddesses of the grain. And this is when Pharaoh said this, you know, he said this. He said, okay, you can go after this plague, but just take the men. Leave the women and children behind. Oh, can I tell you, it's not God's will just for one person in the family to worship God and live for the Lord, but he wants your whole family to worship together. That for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But Moses said, no, 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 we're not just going to take the men. We want to take the whole family with us. The next plague was this right here. Darkness. Darkness fell upon the land of Egypt for three days which came against the false god Ra, which was the god of the sun. And this god right here was one of the most worshipped and revered gods in Egypt, y'all. And God, just being God, says, okay, you think your gods are greater? Pharaoh, I'm, you, know who, you know who you're talking to? I'm going to make a dart for the next three days opposing the god Ra, the god of the sun. And it says in the Bible that the darkness was so heavy that it could be felt. But let me tell you what plague it was that delivered and brought the Egyptian, brought the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. The tenth plague, which was this: the death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn, and this right here opposed Pharaoh, which represented the power 
that Egypt had over the people. Because don't, for, don't, don't forget what happened earlier in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh came against the babies that were being born, the boys, and threw them into the Nile River. He drowned them in the Nile River, which I don't think it's a coincidence that he was later on drowned when he went through the Red Sea. He's like, I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine. And God took care, and Pharaoh had a firstborn son of his own too. But God gave this instruction. He said, this is how I'm going to deliver you, and this is how I'm going to protect you and be with you. He told the people, he said, I want you to go find a lamb, a lamb, not just any lamb, but a young one without blemish. I want you to find it, the best one you can find. Take it into your home, slaughter it, and put the blood on the doorpost. And when you put the blood on the doorpost, also take the animal in, cook it, because you're going to eat it and partake of it. And when the angel of the Lord came by, every home that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, God would pass over that home and show mercy to those homes and to those people. Oh, I don't know if this is somebody's first time hearing this, but even if this is your hundredth time hearing this, it should build your faith to understand and know this, that our God is greater and mightier than anything else that hell or anything that this world can offer to try to entrap and entangle his people. It doesn't matter what type of addiction it is, what stronghold in your mind you may be experiencing, what generational curse, what hex, whatever it is. Can I tell you something? God is greater. God can deliver and set you free from it. And how does he do it? Because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. His blood was shed. John the Baptist said whenever, before he baptized Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. The Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb slaughtered on the foundations of the earth. What does that mean? That means even at the beginning of time when God was laying the foundation, he knew that we would fall short. He knew that we wouldn't be able to meet the standard. He knew that we'd be able to, we'd fall into sin. But he also had a plan to redeem and resurrect his creation and set us free. How are we set free this morning? I want to give you one point. We are set free and our freedom has been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, somebody. I, I wish we'd get more excited about this. I said that your freedom has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out on the cross over 2,000 years ago. His life was not taken. He laid his life down. At any moment, Jesus could have said one word, and thousands of angels could have came and released him. That's what he told Peter, right? Peter got angry cut the ear off of the people trying to come and get Jesus when the garden, he said, no, 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 puts the ear back on. Like, how awesome is that if Jesus said, don't you know? All I got to do is say one word. This is part, this is what I have to do, Peter. I came into this world. I was born to die. 
The Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. What was that joy? For us to be in relationship with him. For us to be free. To no longer be under the weight of sin. Under, underneath the weight of death. No longer being slaves to, to the devil anymore, but we are free by the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. I know it's a simple message, but this is the gospel. This is the good news. The apostle Paul said, I didn't come to you in persuasive words or in human wisdom, but I've just come to know Christ and him crucified. That's, that's what I want to bring to you this morning. We have a reason to be thankful. We have a gift given to us by Jesus. It's freedom. Freedom is possible, but it is impossible without Jesus. We can't remove him out of the equation. The blood has been shed. It was all pointing towards Jesus. His blood was shed before you were even born. His blood was shed before he even knew that not everybody would accept him, but he still poured out his life. And he wanted everyone to know, and he wanted us to know, he wanted the world to know that he is greater, that he has more power, and he has given you power as well. One last scripture I want to leave you with. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He forgave our sins. He's freed us. He's, he, he, he's purchased us. Worship him. Y'all go ahead and come up. Isn't that just similar when you think about the, the walk and what the nation of Israel experienced? They were covered by the blood. They were set free. But then whenever he brings them out of Egypt, what happens? Pharaoh has a change of heart again. Because God says, I want to make one last spectacle of Pharaoh. And as they're about, as they get to the Red Sea, all of a sudden Pharaoh and his armies come approaching the nation of Israel. And they get afraid. They get fearful. Moses says, stand firm. And God says, Moses, put out your hand. Stretch out your hand. The waters get opened up. And they had to make a decision in that moment. Because after Moses said, stand firm, Guess what? God said this to Moses. He said, why are you crying? Move forward. I have split. In other words, didn't you just see everything I did in Egypt? I did all those things. You, you think I brought you out here to die? Do you really think God, that God's brought you this far to give up and die and for you to throw in the towel? Because we felt like that at times. I felt like that even during first service. I can be honest with you. But can I tell you and remind you that God is greater than anything that may be opposing you when it comes to his will in your life. I'm reminded of this study, y'all. This, 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 not really a study, but a story. And you may have heard of it before, but it's, this, it's a story about this, this, this elephant, and there was this elephant, y'all, that, 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 that was a baby, and they, they say that this actually happens, and, and that you can train an elephant to do this today, but it had a, a rope around him, 
a chain around him, and, and, and it, was, it, was, it was tied to a tree. And the elephant, whenever it was young, it could never break away. It could never move forward from, from that because it was young. It didn't have enough power to break the rope, to break the chain. And as the elephant got older, people at the circus would come and, and they would see this ginormous elephant. It's, it's full grown now. And it's hundreds of pounds. But there's a little thing just tied up against this leg with a little stake in the ground. And at any moment, all that elephant has to do is boom and be freed. But because it's been conditioned and trained and told and it's been comfortable being where it's at, it doesn't even try. But all it has to do is make one move and the chain can be broken. The rope can be broken. Couldn't it be like that in our lives? I know I, I'm not saying that it's a one-time thing and you never have to worry about those things come back. There's, there's development, there's discipleship, there's, I, I understand all that. But who in here believes that the blood of Jesus is enough? That his spirit is enough? That greater is he that is inside of us than he that is in the world? And that you have power. Somebody say, I have power in the blood of Jesus in the spirit of Christ, and I'm no longer going to allow my past, my sin, my mistakes, the enemy to hold me back, but I'm going to move forward into the freedom that Jesus has for me. Come on, if you believe that this morning, can you stand to your feet? Can you raise your hands? If, that you, if you know our God is greater our God is capable. He is a deliverer. He said, Jesus came and he proclaimed, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have, I have come here to proclaim that I will release the captives, that I will set those that are oppressed free. I have come to set you free. Some of us, we may be free physically, but maybe we're bound spiritually. If I were to ask, if I were to ask you this morning, are you free? Some of us would be honest and say, no, 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 I've dealt with this. I've been battling this. Can I tell you, there's freedom in Jesus. This is a safe place. I wonder if in this moment, because the key is in your worship, y'all. It's in your worship. When we begin to raise our hands, see, you can either do two things, y'all. You can either let your chains break your praise or your praise break your chains. You've got to make the decision in your mind. I'm no longer going to allow myself to be bound by what's been holding me back. I'm going to move forward today. Like the children of Israel did when they walked through the Red Sea and God washed away the Egyptians. Come on, can we just sing it out right now? Can we thank him for the blood of Jesus? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.